0: Our program will explore the concepts and ideas behind Direct Connect Coaching by introducing guests who are using or are aligned with this program and have used the ideas to transform their lives. It is our sincere hope that you can use this inspiration to do the same. Now, here is Fee Mazanke.
1: Welcome to the show, everyone, and thanks so much for listening. And please do share the message of this show if it's something that you really resonate with. Each week, we start the show highlighting our boomerang movement, and for those of you who don't know, the boomerang movement is our own ownership in creating what we want in our lives to throw out so that what we throw out there is what we get back to us. And I've had the great opportunity to see many people over the years in my coaching practice uh, throw out very wonderful boomerangs and uh, boomerangs of generosity and uh, just different situations, success, love, appreciation, respect, and kindness, only to get it back in return. And oftentimes, it comes back tenfold. So it's something that I want to encourage all of you to keep into your conscious awareness so that you can throw out the boomerangs of exactly what you want and give those things away as much as possible and, uh, and see how they do return and how quickly they return. It's really quite a fun concept. Today, I do have a request for all of you listening. I have a boomerang of love, strength, and support for two of my cousins. First, Becca, who was on the show several weeks ago, is receiving her bone marrow cord blood transplant today. So please throw her a boomerang of strength and support as she goes through this procedure today. She is truly a pillar of faith and optimism, and if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to her show, it's listed under the David Tuckerow Show, and uh, she really truly is inspiring. Second, my cousin Elaine is honoring her late husband and his memory today as his life was tragically cut short this week. I thank you all for your love and support as we collectively give them a boomerang of energy today. And now we welcome my very dear friend, Graham, to the show. And she is affectionately known as Graham because she is the Graham to so many, not just her own grandchildren, but the ones that she's met along the way, the ones that she met on the playground each day and greeted with a warm hug uh, when her own grandson, Michael, was in grammar school, Uh, to my own children who grew up being blessed with having three grandmothers, not just two, she's Graham to them and she's Graham to everyone that she meets and anyone that that runs into her will attest to that. Graham was born in Massachusetts in December of 1933. She has lived and continues to live a full and rich life. She's lived in eight different states and considers Cape Cod her favorite, her favorite home. That's where she really just renews and restores herself. She also lived down the road from another octogenarian, Joan Rivers, who just passed. And recently, Graham and I have admired the strong woman that Joan Rivers was, even when she was in her 80s. I mean, the energy and the true uh, capacity that she had as an 81-year-old is, again, very truly inspiring. A couple quick points. Graham went to the World Series when she was in grade school. In fact, her father surprised her and pulled her out of school and took her to the World Series when, get this, this is a long time ago, right, Graham? The St. Louis Cardinals were playing the St. Louis Browns. There There are no more St. Louis Browns. She loves baseball, and her father often joked that if she were a boy, she would definitely be in the World Series because of her love of baseball. Graham's stories are my ultimate favorite. They are compelling. And in a world where conversations are becoming a lost art, one of my very favorite things to do in life is to sit with Graham and have her tell me about the amazing experiences she has had and share those stories. Graham is uh, amazing because she walks four miles a day on the treadmill. She keeps her mind sharp. She reads. She goes to dinner and the movies with her friends. And she has a heart as good as gold. And I love her so much that I did want to share, Graham, with all of you. So today I give you the octogenarian rules with Graham. Hi, Graham. Hi. How are you? Great. You
2: really played me up there.
1: (laughs) Well, you deserve being played up, Graham, that's for sure, and I, I really truly am honored to have you on with our listeners today because I truly enjoy the stories of your life and your positive attitude, your optimism, and I felt like people need to know From someone who has lived with so many different experiences throughout history, Um, they need to know what's possible and how to continue to be inspired and how to continue to to be fresh and sharp into uh, these golden years of the octogenarian years. So thank you so much, Graham, for joining us today.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. This is very enjoyable.
1: Well, I want to first start out by having you tell our listeners about your tremendous life and fill the listeners in about your background, just so they have an idea of where you're coming from and and what your experiences have been.
2: Well, as you said, I was born in Massachusetts, and uh, my uh, dad worked there, and um, we were raised there until I was almost eight and then my dad was transferred to uh St. Louis and um we lived there uh, during the war and all the experiences we had there um kind of kind of a very interesting time, very sad time at times, but it was um it was really an experience for me. And then we were transferred again to back to New York uh to the East Coast and uh then we were transferred again to Atlanta and then back to New York, and that was the end of our transferring. Um, but we had a very interesting life uh, um, being uh, going from place to place, uh, meeting new people from different parts of the country. And there are people, you know, they're, they are a little different than the people in Massachusetts. Uh, the people in the Midwest are different from the people in the South, and you know how that goes. Um, but it was just—it uh, was a wonderful experience. Um, we missed uh, our relatives in, in uh, the, the East Coast, but um, they managed to come out to see us, and we managed somehow to to get back there. So it was uh, it was pretty uh, it was a pretty wonderful um, growing up time.
1: Well, what a diverse experience you had, Graham, with all those different moves while you were young. Is there anything that you took from that experience that you can share with the listeners who may be, you know, have that same type of, uh, t- same type of transplant where, they're, you know, where they go from place to place? Any advice that you have there?
2: Well, I think you just have to keep your heart and mind open. Um, and, um, you know, give everybody a chance to become a, a friend. Um, you open your heart to become a friend uh, to the people that you're meeting because, you know, you're the new kid on the block. And that's hard in school, that's hard in, in uh, going into neighborhoods. Um, and most of the time we had, um, we were greeted with open arms and as long as our arms were open. Um, I think that made a difference, and our parents were very um good uh, sharing people and uh, taught us the same thing that um you know you have to you have to give a happy face and you have to treat people decently if you want them to do the same thing
1: yeah, and that 's such great to to go into these types of moves or transplants from place to place just going in with an open heart and open mind I really believe Graham is how you adjusted so well and also how it's been so easy I've watched you over the years Graham make friends in fact Well, one of my favorite memories with you is with your friends because they were just such a hoot to go. We we got a chance to go see uh, Flanagan's Wake together and out to dinner and... um, with you and your daughter, Nancy, and we just, so much laughter and joy that we, you know, that we, the, the girls hanging out together and many of them being Irish and many of them being Catholic, uh, it right. was fun to, right. fun to watch, yeah. yeah.
2: Right, well, th- those wonderful times, um, that's all we did was laugh and that was i mean we just somebody came over to our table one time and said can we eat over here at your table the next time because you have so much fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> at the exactly. restaurant yeah. and it was and it was so true because we just thoroughly enjoyed each other and and just laughed and laughed and laughed it was uh, it was wonderful
1: still it is isn't- yeah, it still is and you still the, the the friends we you know you've lost you know lost one friend uh yeah. in the group and another one's a little bit uh laid up now but um it's it's still fun to watch the core group of you guys just hanging out and having fun together. I love I love hearing those stories.
2: Yeah, it, it, it it's just wonderful. It's one so wonderful for me because I it's I, I didn't, yeah, you know, I, I had been living in, um, in New Jersey where it wasn't so, um, friendly and, um, and came back here and how, I mean, so many people opened their arms, even people that had been working in some of the stores that I frequent and they were still there and they re- remembered me after eight years and that, and I remembered them and it was just like old home week and it was just wonderful. Well,
1: and we're happy that you're back here in Illinois, Graham. I mean, I'm thrilled beyond thrilled, but it's no surprise to me because of your beautiful, warm heart that these people eight years after being in New Jersey for eight years and coming back would remember you because uh, you're unforgettable in my book.
2: Oh, you're so sweet. (laughs) you so good to me.
1: And tell us, Graham, what. Did you learn that was important growing up from your parents? What types of things did you learn from them?
2: You know, I think the most important thing I, I learned from my parents was the the love that they had for us, the the caring. Um, we did so many things together um, when I was growing up, when, I, when we were little children, and um, <clears throat> we. We did a lot um, on the weekends together as, as a as a family. During the week, um, I would do things with my mom or do things with my dad. My sister and brother would do the same thing. Like, I would come home from school and my mom would have everything ready to start dinner, but she'd say to me, oh, come on, let's play jacks and plump down on the floor in the kitchen, uh, linoleum floor, and we'd play jacks for an hour. Um, or my dad would come home and... And, and take me out in the backyard and show me how to play golf. Um, he did all the same you know not the same things but but different things with my my siblings and um it was always you know personal uh attention and and then group attention and and it was and love it was it was wonderful it was that we I never doubted, and neither did my siblings uh, ever doubt. That the love my parents had for us, or the love we had for them. Uh, Sure, I just think that that was that was the most important thing, and we did. We loved being together, and we loved doing things together, and it was um, it was it was wonderful. It was just wonderful, and all through all through our lives, and through our children's lives.
1: Right, right, and I know that oftentimes you you as a family will go to Cape Cod and enjoy that that Cape Cod experience, which is just so renewing and fulfilling for you. You share that with your children and grandchildren, and it's, it's just wonderful to hear those stories as well.
2: Well, this is, that's what my parents started was Cape Cod too. And, and, and we all grew to love it. And, and it was wonderful that our children grew to love it as much as I did. And, and, and my, my sister and brother did. And, and then, my grandchildren, the same,
1: yeah,
2: and, and they and... love it as much and and uh but they were you know there again, um my parents were the ultimate grandparents,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: and just gave i mean my children never doubted uh the love they that their grandparents have they get along they get they sit with their cousins and they sit and talk about their grandparents and what they did, and the funny things they 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 would. Pull and I mean, my mother would wake the girls up at, at Cape Cod and and with marshmallow and peanut butter sandwiches at eleven o'clock at night.
1: Oh, wonderful! I mean, what
2: a <laughs> wonderful thing to remember. You know, eleven o'clock at night. Well, raiding right the refrigerator, she used to call it.
1: Oh, isn't oh, that yeah. great? Yeah, I love I love that, and that's why I wanted to share those things. I mean, you know, I think again, the this one on one and group attention that you got where. You were a priority, Graham. I mean, clearly you were a priority. If Absolutely. your mom, yeah, if your mom came home and you and you came home and said, "Okay, before we do anything, we're going to just play jacks together," or go, or your dad came home and said, "We're going to golf. I'm going to show you how to golf now." I mean, that's beautiful. Love that.
2: Yeah, it was, and and it was just. I mean, it was natural to us because we didn't know. We thought all kids were like this. You know, uh, had parents that were so um, attentive and um right. to and but it, but they loved it as much as we did. I mean, they loved everything they did with us. My mother loved sitting on the floor and playing jacks and teaching pickup sticks, you know. And she taught us to to, to knit and, uh, and and um to do needlepoint and you know, it was just just wonderful wonderful things that that we had this special attention and and uh it was it was absolutely fabulous. It was—I I can't tell you—it was such a, a wonderful childhood. Yeah,
1: and it clearly is evidence, Graham, that as you had that experience with your own parents and with your own grandparents, that all of that really trickled down to you. To you know continue those traditions with your children and grandchildren and I know uh, I remember hearing you tell the story of uh, you kind of just playing trucks with Michael your grandson Michael uh, for hours and hours where you could barely kneel anymore but you were out there on the sidewalk playing trucks with him for hours and hours and uh, I know that's why Having that time with Michael is not only special for you, but those are the memories that Michael will have forever and ever and ever of his time with you.
2: Oh yeah, those that was the bonus that God gave me, were being able to to be with my grandchild and my other grandchildren, <clears throat> my oldest grandchildren. I was able to spend a lot of time with. My three in the middle, I wasn't because they were born in, and raised in, in uh, Alaska, so I didn't see them as much until they moved uh, uh, down here in the lower lower uh, forty-eight. But um, then I got a chance because I was able to um, take care of Michael from the time he was six weeks old, and that was that was just a that was a blessed time. It was the most wonderful time. I i i I, w- I was the luckiest grandmother on this earth.
1: Yeah. And he's such a great child now, a 20-year-old, and you got to wonderful. take care of him for all those years. So Yeah, um, it, was,
2: it was just, and, and, and playing with him and doing you know, all those wonderful things with him and going on, on little excursions that we used to just, let's go, let's go to playgrounds, let's do a playground day. And yeah. we'd go all over the place with, and with playgrounds. We'd go in the city and we'd go to the, the museums and we'd go down the, to see the cows when they did the cows down there. Remember the uh, artist yes. did all the cows and just all of those wonderful things that just I'll never, I, I, there will always be in my memory till the day I die. I, and I know he loved every minute of it.
1: He sure did. And we've got to take a quick break, Graham. We're going to okay. be back uh, with our discussion with Graham. So stick with us. Thanks so much for listening.
3: We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment.
0: Fee works with individuals and delivers keynote messages that are inspiring and uplifting. Experience what Fee has to offer at directconnectcoaching.com.
3: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are tuned in to Direct Connect Empowerment, To reach Fee Mazzanke or her guest on the program today, please call one 346 9141 That's one 346 9141 Now back to Direct Connect Empowerment.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We are talking to my friend Graham and talking about the octogenarian rules. I guess I should explain for someone that doesn't understand the idea of the octogenarian, that's someone who is in her 80s and Graham happens to be 80. And uh, so we're talking about kind of Graham's rules of living a passionate life. And and I think there's a lot of wisdom that can be gained from sitting down and experiencing what people uh, from generations before ours have have experienced and just talking about that. And so... Um, we were before the break, we were talking a little bit about Graham being a grandmother. And I know, Graham, you took care of your grandson, Michael, um, like you said, from the time he was six weeks old until the time he turned, turned 20 just this past year. Um, what are some of the difference that you have noticed in caring for children when you had your own children and then raising you you know children these days, and as you've witnessed that with Michael and and raising him uh, through his childhood as well, what do you notice about the differences?
3: Well,
2: I I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think about what the differences would be, but um, I think it was a an easier time raising children when I rose when I rose children when I was raising uh, my children. I think it. Was a little easier. Was less um, uh, worrisome about safety and things like that. Um, I mean, we we did have to naturally keep our keep our uh, sharp eye out for the children. But I can remember being able to let my children play outside by themselves um, in our yard and uh, watching them uh, out the window or you know in and out. But um, I was outside every minute with. Uh, when Michael was playing outside, you know I had a chair and and uh, a book, but i was I was there in the yard, and I think that there was a difference there um, I think technology um the new technology that has come along since um my children were growing up and um you know some of it's good, some of it's not so good. Yeah, and yeah. that's hard on parents, I think, too, you know, having to be so observant about what's going on in their, in those machines that they carry around in their hands uh, a lot of the all, time.
1: All the selfies that they take, right? Yes. As you know. as you have noticed with the uh, Kardashians when they take all their selfies, right? <laughs> yes.
2: Especially yeah. at the wrong time. Yeah. Um but, um, yes, I think that, you know, and there's a lot of things that, that, that they could put on these. You know, I'm, I'm not savvy uh, when it comes to computers but um, uh, or these, or these uh, iPhones or iPods or whatever they're called. I'm not, uh, but I know that they, children could get into trouble with those kind of things. Um, saying the wrong things, and then it's sent to somebody, and it goes to everybody in the high school or the grade school or wherever. And I think it's, I think those things are, you know, they've got to be, they've got to be hard to, you know, to be also always watching and always, you know, keeping an eye on what's going on in those contraptions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They have to be monitored, unfortunately. The and there is a lot of, you know, that you see, I mentioned this last week on the show, the, uh, the ALS, the Ice Bucket Challenge, it was the, the most widely uh, circulated program out there ever that ever happened with over a billion people uh, really you know, getting that message and getting the hits on the message. And so there's definitely a positive side to it, and I think it's just yes. a matter of really just teaching our children who know way more than we do. I know, I know my kids Absolutely. know way more than we, I do about technology yes. – just telling them teaching them about the responsibility of it and the fact of the matter is everything that you do these days is recorded and we certainly know that based on what happened with Ray rice and the, and the recording that happened yeah. in the elevator yesterday and the fact that yeah. he he lost his job indefinitely we you know we don't know how long that is so everything these days is, is out there to be monitored, yes, and and you're you're seen and heard wherever you go. And I we constantly talk about that with our kids, saying, "Hey, yeah. uh, make wise choices and decisions there because um, you know because you never know who's watching." So, Graham, Vote I wanted. So. to... Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, I know you had a really a really difficult experience move, moving from New York City to Atlanta, Georgia, while you were riding the bus with your friend. Can you share that story with our audience and tell us a, a little bit about what happened there?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, my dad was transferred to Atlanta, and um, uh, we... Uh, <laughs> Right before, I think it was a couple like a a couple weeks before school started, and I was going in. I was 15, going into my junior year of high school, and um, went to school first day of school, and um, and met a new girl that was also from the East Coast, and um, we were the only ones there that weren't weren't Southerners, I think. And um, but anyway, one of the nuns asked uh, during that week if someone would volunteer, if some people would volunteer to help. Uh, feed the children at the um, handicapped, they or they called it the crippled children's homes back home back then, and um, to feed the children in the late afternoon, early evening, because the nurses were just uh, overpowered with other things to do. And this girl and myself, uh, we both volunteered, and uh, that night told our parents that we would be going down on a bus and coming back on a bus at, uh, uh I think it was three days a week we were going to go down, and uh, I myself was looking forward to it because I had been babysitting since I was 10 years old and loved it and, and just loved kids, and, and she did too. So we got on after school. We got on the bus and ran to the back of the bus and sat down. We were going to chat and talking and, and, uh, by ourselves because we were the only two, that, as I said, we were the two Yankees in the school. And um, so anyway... Um, we heard this man yelling, and it turned out to be the bus driver. And he uh, he was yelling obscenities at us and telling us to get up to the front of the bus. And we didn't know what he was talking about. And uh, in fact, we didn't even think he was yelling at us at first. And then this lovely little lady next to me said, "I think you better go up, girls." And and uh, I said, "Why?" And they she said, "Because you're not supposed to sit back here." And I I didn't understand, I didn't I didn't under, at all, and neither did my friend, and with that, the bus driver slams on the brakes and um, tells us to get off the bus, and so um, we did, and as we were getting off, uh, the little uh, sweet lady said to me, um, there, there'll be another one coming, don't worry, you'll be okay, and I said, okay, thank you so much, and we got off the bus, and so, so we never... Never realized what it was until um, uh, we were later that night. My father asked us, and she, he said, well, that's because only black people are supposed to be at the back of the bus. And we just, he said, it, it's entirely wrong situation. But he said, I'm going to go and, you know, he, he did go up and complain about the way we were treated and swearing and all that. But that didn't make any difference because those are the laws. At the time, and we were we were really shocked. Um, I guess naive too was um, was a good word for it because we didn't have that in the part of the country where we lived before.
1: Yeah, right. Coming from New York and then moving down south, that wasn't. Right. I mean, that wasn't an issue for you at all in New York.
2: No. No, and, and another time uh, when um, I had several years later, when I had married and was had a, a baby nine months old, my husband was transferred to um, a spot in Georgia uh, for a school in the because he was in the uh, service and he had to go to a school down there and. Um, so I went down, we, we, uh, we all went down, the three of us, and then he went off to school and we had no car. So I put the baby in the carriage and went uh, wheeling up to the grocery store. And it was a little mom-and-pop store and the other the, the grocery store that they had, like an a and type of place, uh, was uh, four miles away. And so uh, well, we went, I went in and in those days they, you gave a list and they took it down from the, from the shelves. And uh, the lady said, good morning, hi, it's so nice to see you. Are you new here? I said, yes, I am. My husband's in the Navy and he's at the school. Oh, yes, oh, yes, she said, and she said, um, so, um, uh, what was it she said? She said, um, oh, she said, um, where are you from? I, I said, well, I'm from the, the Northeast. And she said, oh, you're a Yankee. And I said, oh, "Well, I don't know, I don't know wh- whether I am." I said, "I'm just from the Northeast." And she pointed to the baby. And I also was expecting my second child. And she pointed to the baby, and she said, um, "Is he a Yankee baby?" And I said, "Well, he, he was born in the Northeast." And she said, "Hmm." And now she stops taking things down off the shelf, and she's slowly taking, you know, slowing up, and, and she says, "Is that going to be a Yankee baby?" Pointed to my stomach, and I said. Um. Well, I, yes, because the school is not going to be over when I'm going to have to go and have a baby. Uh, so I'll probably be born in the Northeast too. And she said, "Oh, okay. How would you like to to um, join our church?" And I said, "Oh, that's a lovely thing to say. I'd love to join your church, but we've already joined one." And I and she said, well, "What's the name of it?" I said, "St. Mark's." And she said, "Oh, you're Catholics." And I said yes, and she said, "Well, Yankees and Catholics, she said, "You'll have to get your grocery store get you'll have to get your groceries at the uh, a m p
1: Wow, wow,
2: and that was it. I had to turn my little carriage around and with my nine month old baby and go home and wait till my husband got home to,
1: to go to the a m p sure
2: yeah yeah.
1: Isn't that isn't that amazing the yeah. level of what I see as separate mindedness or you know obviously prejudice um, mm-hmm. and and how far we've come since that time to really heal those old wounds of separation. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm sure that's got to be pretty liberating for you to see Graham the, the you know the beauty of acceptance and and we've got as a country, we still have work to do in this department, but I mean oh, yeah. to know oh, yeah. to know in your lifetime, Graham, that you have been you know kicked off of of the bus because you were sitting in the back and that was that was supposed to be separate for um, the African American people and then also, to be considered a Yankee and not be able to buy groceries at a certain store or because of your religious beliefs. Religion. I mean, right. yeah. yeah, that separate mindedness, we, we really need to, uh, as a society, continue to do our work in not placing judgment and allowing, allowing and honoring people for who they are and what they believe so that we can all just continue to join as, you know, one, one. people, one not people. separate right. people because right. of exactly. re- re- yeah, religion or race or anything. Any reason. And
2: I, those, any reason. Yes, you know? right,
1: yeah. for any reason. For right. any reason. Yeah. Now, Graham, as you've lived 80 years, what wisdom can you share with our listeners about the importance of Priorities, and 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 I'm sure your priorities have changed over the years. But it, from your shoes, if you were speaking to younger people, the younger generation, and looking at what's important, what are priorities? Share with us your wisdom in that department.
2: Well, if I was talking to younger people, I'd say, um, you know. L- uh, loving your neighbor, caring about people, kindness just 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 plain kindness every day of your life. Giving, you know, get, taking the time to be to share uh your, you know, just a a, a sweet smile or or a kind word. The people don't some people don't realize that just those little things that you can do to, to your fellow man is so important. The love that you show, you can show when you're smiling, when you're speaking with a kind, a, a kind word to someone, love shows in your face and the person receives it.
1: Sure, absolutely. And that's why we always start off the show with the boomerang and throwing out a boomerang of love and kindness and generosity and support because it always comes back. and, And that's clear and evident from your shoes as an octogenarian, someone that's lived. I mean, look at you can be gone from this area for eight years and go back into the blue goose shopping and the people at the counters who are many of whom are all the same and haven't changed remember and recognize you and that's because of the love and kindness that you share with them definitely
2: yeah, absolutely the, the the you know I, I cannot tell you the the looks on their faces and the sweetness and the the kindness that they when they said wait a minute where have you been I miss seeing you at the store, you know, and I and and I miss them because they were so nice to me all the time, and so kind, you know. They were so generous with their um, with their uh, uh, really loving attitude.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because you are Graham, and again, that is the the boomerang in action. And in, in, in the message that I want people to understand is if we look at your life as someone who is an octogenarian, gram, this is how you've lived your life fully and completely. And that is never withholding love, always being kind to everyone that you meet. Everyone. And as a result of that kindness, look at how it comes back. I mean, these people remember you. And unfortunately... Uh, my husband Bob and I were at uh, at at the Festival of the Vine in Geneva the other day, and um, there was a couple that was really upset that they were they waited 20 minutes for a table outside. It was just a spectacular day, and they waited 20 minutes, and they literally gave the manager of the restaurant. Holy hell, because uh, they had to wait 20 minutes. And eventually she said, Do you really want to have dinner here? Because if you don't want to eat here, then by all means leave. And she was being very kind to them. But it's those experiences and people like that who, you know, ruin it for the rest of us because. It was just 20 minutes and it was a beautiful day. And, you know, whatever was happening in their life and in their world at that time was may have been unfortunate. They have, may have had a difficulty that day. And I'm not going to pass judgment, but if. We just kind of stop and take a deep breath and understand that this wasn't something against them to withhold their table, but rather just the flow of the evening and the reservations. That's really what it was all about. And unfortunately, they took it personally. And you know, my Green, mother used to
2: say, kindness doesn't cost a thing.
1: It doesn't and that's that's the message that we want to deliver to everyone today because you are one of the most kind-hearted people I've ever met. So we've got to take a break and we're going to be right back with the actogenarian it. rules.
3: Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: Do you want to directly impact your business results, improve the quality of your life, learn to empower yourself, or move through roadblocks to create more success for yourself? If so, directly connect with Fee Mazanke at Direct Connect Coaching. Fee is an expert in the field of coaching with over 14 years of experience. Go to www.directconnectcoaching.com. To learn more about Fee's empowering programs, Fee works with individuals and delivers keynote messages that are inspiring and uplifting. Experience what Fee has to offer at directconnectcoaching.com.
3: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: You are tuned in to Direct Connect Empowerment. To reach Fee Zanke or her guest on the program today, Please call 188 346 9141. That's 1888 346 9141. Now back to Direct Connect Empowerment.
1: Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. We're back, and we're talking about the Octogenarian rules, how to live a really full and rich life into your 80s with my dear friend Graham. And Graham, I want to start out by having you tell the listeners about how you set your intentions to get what you want?
2: Well, I, I it, it depends on what the situation is, but uh, just one of the things that I always did when I was going up to the post office and it was freezing cold outside and I would set my intentions with God to, oh, I would love to have a parking space right in front so I don't slip and fall in the parking lot on the ice. And, um, and I... Come down the street and turn right, and there was a parking space for me every time.
1: Yeah, wonderful.
2: And i i was i I was always so thankful and so thankful for for a parking lot a parking space because it was important at my age not to fall in the parking lot because the parking lot was huge and I had a long walk. Right. To come down and. And God was always with me.
1: Of course. And what an empowered thing to do for you, Graham, to say this again is the idea of the boomerang, ask and you shall receive, put it out there and it will come back to you. And just a real simple approach for, you know, putting out there the idea of, okay, I need a parking space to open up and all of a sudden, boom! That one in the front opened up because, sure, as an elderly person, and you're really fit, and uh, I've seen you uh, not just walk to your place, but you you walk really briskly. It's not like you're you're shuffling away, but um, but having that parking space, especially in the in the northeastern winters or or the midwestern winters, that especially the one we just got out of, <laughs> um, yeah. We is, is really important. But it's such an empowering concept to, um, to know and to share with anyone at any age. But the fact that you do it when you're 80 years old and you say, hey, I would like a parking space, and then one opens up is tremendous. So good for you. It
2: really um,
1: is. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, Graham, about the significance. You have a tradition uh, called the God Jar, and tell us what you have learned over the years about using your God Jar.
2: Well, as you know, Fee, you turned me on to the guard jar, and I, when I heard about it, I thought it was really the most spectacular thing uh, that i had ever heard of, and um, and I started it right away, and you had told me just use a medium-sized empty jar that might have had some coffee in it or, or whatever it had in it, and just rinse it out and use that, and I put a sign on it that said the guard jar, and I put it on top of my refrigerator. Because that's where I could just reach up at any moment when I'd get telephone calls from my friends saying, could you put my sister in your God jar? And my God jar was uh, intentions or prayers or requests. And, um, and I would always put the first name of the person only, for so that was really for me, more than God. And um, and then I would ask, uh, I would ask for that person whatever that person had asked for uh, that needed needed God's help, and um, and it was it, I just got to be to the point where I had to go to a second one because so many people were calling, and I would tell them that um, when when people would say, oh, so so and so is sick, and I said, oh, I'll put him in my god jar, and they'd say. Oh, would you really? I said sure, and I said it always works, and it always did. But I had one person one time that asked me to put uh, her sister, brother, or whoever it was in the god jar, and I said, "What is his first name?" And she said, um, "Joe," and, and she said, "Don't you want his last name?" And I said, "No, God knows his last name." Yeah, I said, you, <laughs> you know you you, can, you you don't have to you don't have to give the first. First name, and then I had another friend that said, "When you put me in your guard Joe, will you leave me in it, even if I get better from from what are the or my tests are, are good or whatever? Would you just leave me there?" Which I thought was just uh, adorable. I love that. And then one day I was at the post office. This is about two months ago, and it, I was there. Post office. I seem to be at the post office a lot, don't I? And I. Uh, I getting got, the
1: perfect parking space too. Getting the, the perfect
2: parking space. So I got there early because I, I, um, in the uh, at the post office. If you don't get there early, you're in a very long line. And I wanted to get in and out because I had stuff to do. So got in there early, and I had about ten minutes to wait. Wait, and I was by myself, just standing there. And, and this man came in and. And uh, we started talking, and and I think we were talking about some news thing that had come up, and somehow or another we were just getting on all the kind of different subjects. And then all of a sudden he said that his brother was ill, and he just found out that morning, and he was very, very concerned. And and I said, well, I'll put him in my guard jar. And he looked at me, and he looked at me very hard, and he he just kept looking. He said, say that again. And I said, I'll put him in my guard jar. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, you've heard the expression, let go, let God. I said, you don't have to worry all day. You don't have to be sleepless, have sleepless nights. I said, you just put your intention in the God jar, and, and God will take care of it for you. And he will do the worrying, and he will do the, all the sleepless nights. And so he looked at me, and he said, I was meant to come here today and see you. I said you. He said you have changed my day. Well, I I thought I was going to cry right there. And I said, I said, well, thank you. I said I I I I'm so happy for you. He said, you know what I think I'm going to do. I'm going to go home and I. He said I'm going to make a jar. How do I make a jar? And I told him what I did. And so uh, they opened the they opened uh, the door for us to go in to the uh, post office. We I took care of what I was doing as I was leaving, he, he called out and he said, thank you again. He said, I was meant to be here this morning to meet you because, he says, now I know my brother's going to be okay.
1: Isn't that beautiful? Well, so
2: good that was him. so, uh, I, I did go home and cry. I mean, it was yeah. just but the, 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 the way he looked at me, it was like it was, he couldn't talk because he was so overwhelmed with this God jar.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful, that's Graham. It definitely shows. Oh, well, thank you. Well, that's because you do it. Um, I want to before we wrap things up today, Graham. I do want to ask you what's been the most significant experience that you have lived through in history, and why.
2: Well, I think probably the most has was the Second World War. Um, my dad was transferred to. To St. Louis, as I had said previously, but um, but he was he was uh, um, trans. I mean, he transferred there. We arrived in December, and the day after we moved into our house, uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed, and that was very significant, of course, to everybody in the nation. And um, we had uh, we had unpacked, and we had. Uh, We were going to a a little later Mass than usual because we'd all been, family been up all day long with with the move. And uh, we went to Mass and came home and were having breakfast and my dad turned the radio on and then it came on. And my my dad looked over at my mom and she looked at him and she said, I'm glad we're in the Midwest. And he said, yeah. And so... uh, as time went on, I started to meet these uh young men that were friends of my brothers that my brother was a freshman in high school and and they were seniors and and they were going to be going off to war and it was so it was so difficult to see them because I knew them they were my brother's friends and I knew them well and um so one day uh they they were most of them uh, these boys were um this they called them soda jerks at the soda fountain at the drugstore, and I'd see them all the time and and uh, so these uh, one day I came into the drugstore and there was a star on one of the pictures. They had put the, all of the the owner of the drugstore had put all the pictures of the boys above the uh, fountain. And I didn't know what the star was. I thought at first that he'd got a uh, an award. And so I asked the owner, and he said, "Oh, Nancy, I think you better go and and uh, ask your mom." And I said, "No." I said I want you to tell me and then I started to get scared and then he told me that the boy had been killed and it was so so hard and I ran home with crying and and uh, I mean it was a significant time because at 8 years old it was reality that that I knew about the war then I really knew about the war then and yeah. um, it was just you know and it and there were a lot more things that that uh you know were significant in in uh during that time you know boys coming home injured but at least coming home and badly injured and you know just all sorts of very very happy that they they were home sad that they had been so terribly injured and that's just uh, a lot of emotion
1: sure and and a lot of i i'm sure a lot of Complicated thinking about as an eight year old and friends of your brothers who you know had been shipped off to war and seeing that seeing one of them not return home, uh, losing his life under those circumstances hard to fathom, I'm sure, when you're only eight years old because you know war just doesn't make sense to begin with and the fact that it really hit so close to home and these were you know, young young men that were serving you at the soda fountain at the local drugstore and then, you know, either be coming home very injured or coming home um, or not coming home at all is just, it's got to be really difficult to fathom as an 8-year-old.
2: Well, it's, yeah, it, correct. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, you can't fathom either where it was because, of course, it was not in the United States, thank the good Lord, But you didn't know where those countries were, other than when you went to school and the teacher showed you on the map. You know, you didn't really know where these people were dying. Yeah. Yeah. And that was hard to fathom, too. You know, it was just, I mean, it was amazing that, because I think it was, I think it was really so Strong for me. Uh, the, the, to, I needed to understand it. I needed to find out about it. I needed to know everything about it. My dad even let me read the newspaper because I was so adamant about it. I had to know everything. Right. And I've always sure. been. I've always been very interested in everything that had to do with the World War II.
1: Everything. Yeah. yeah. And fact, uh, I'm. I'm, I'm go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead, Graham.
2: No, I was just going to say. Uh, most of my favorite books are are, are about World War Two.
1: Yeah, what's your favorite one? Before we wrap, what's the favorite book of yours? World War Two book.
2: Well, this is this is um, called Three Came Home. Three Have came. You ever home? heard of
1: it? Three no. came
2: home. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. a beautiful story um, uh, of a family that go over to Borneo and then and then. Uh, um, they uh, get captured by the uh, by the Japanese, and it was their story on staying alive. And it was it's just fabulous. And there is a movie of it too. Uh, if you ever get a chance to get into the uh, library, they might have it because um, they have a lot of old movies um, at the library. But it is a it's it's something else. It's really it's a it's a it is a proof of no matter what happens, you still fight for your family and the love of your family and even though he was at another camp and she and the baby were in one of the co- other concentration camps, they did everything in their power to help each other. And it, But the love of these three people were just, just amazing.
1: Well, and your love is just amazing, Graham, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing your octogenarian rules. And um, clearly it is rule number one, is share your love and spread your love in any direction that you can possibly do. So thank you for joining us. You're you're the best, Graham. I I love you and appreciate you. And I also want to give a huge shout-out to the incredible men and women who serve our country. Without your dedication, we would not have our freedom. So we truly appreciate all of you heroes out there. And in addition to our service heroes, Graham, you're truly my hero. So thank Aww. you for sharing your your love well, and your thank heart with you us.
2: For having yeah. me, and I've I've had a lot of fun. And as usual, um, you're the best.
1: Thanks, and I wish everyone a very inspired and empowered week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be right back here next week. So come back next week and join us. <laughs>
0: Thank you again for joining us this week on Direct Connect Empowerment. Team Mazanki will be back with another guest next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you then.